It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. Good evening and welcome to the Virtual Bible Study. This is the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, November 19th, 2015. We welcome you to the study and look forward to your participation as we talk about important Bible things. My name is Greg Gwynn. I'm one of the regular hosts of the Virtual Bible Study, but I'm not in my regular chair. Uh, Jacob, my son Jacob, who usually is sitting in this chair, is out of pocket tonight, and so I'm trying to do a little bit of the technical stuff. We've got Kyle behind the board doing all the technical stuff. Uh, my good friend Monty Overton is sitting in my chair. Monty, thanks for joining us tonight. Thank you, Greg. It's good to be here. All right, are we, uh, are we getting good levels? Uh, look like we're our audio is okay there, yeah, Kyle? Okay, all right, good deal. All right, uh, again, we thank you for joining us on the Virtual Bible Study, and we remind you that you have the opportunity to participate in several different ways. You can send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. We'll try to watch the email inbox as we're going along through the program tonight. You can call us at... Uh, 877-381-4567. That's toll free. We'll pay the toll. 877-381-4567. Or the way most people talk to us as we're doing the virtual Bible study is in the chat room. The chat room is up and working. We see some people in there already. Guest 826 is already commenting. Um, we've got several others. Uh, someone from Mount Pleasant, Tennessee is in there. I see uh, Josh uh, from uh, the College of Congregation is in there, others. Get in there. Uh, if, you, if you'd like to, and it's helpful to us, give yourself a, a, a login ID and uh, just give yourself a nickname if you want to, and that way we can kind of keep track of who's making comments in the chat room. We've got an interesting topic tonight, Monty. I think a couple of things that are pretty closely related. They're separate in a sense, but related also. We want to talk tonight about youth ministries, and we want to talk about church programs in general. Youth ministries typically would be sort of a subset of the bigger concept of having all kinds of programs within the church. And interestingly, a number of denominational sources are saying they think that this may be a flawed concept. Well, you know, that's something we can learn from because it seems like a lot of people nowadays in Churches of Christ are wanting to go toward this youth ministry kind of thing. You're not hearing me too good. Yeah. You're hearing me? Yeah, yeah, but not real loud. Okay. But anyhow, it seems like they're wanting to go to that because everybody else is doing it. Well, they need to pay attention because if everybody else is doing it, it's not working. There's no point in continuing. Yeah. And and it's interesting to me that it that it's the a lot of denominational sources that we're going to reference here in a minute. A lot of denominational sources that are themselves they they sort of the pioneers of this sort of thing but they themselves are admitting it's not working yeah and we're going to look at them in a minute earlier today to our update list we sent out an email telling you about our what our topic was going to be for discussion tonight and asking some questions and in regards to the youth 
ministry sort of activities, I ask these questions. Number one, are you aware of or can you cite current surveys or statistics that indicate young people are leaving the churches they grew up in, many of them forsaking religion altogether? We're going to reference some of those stats. I thought maybe some of you might have found some similar stats. Number two, how would you address parents who tend to turn over their children's spiritual training to the church. It's not my job. Let the church take care of that. And I think a lot of parents are doing that. What would you say to them? Number three, are there inherent dangers in segregating the church into age and demographic, demographic groupings? And number four, how can we do a better job of getting young people in the church to appreciate and respect older Christians? How can we cultivate better relationship between the young and the old in the church? So we'll talk about all those, and then, and then later in the program, we want to go to the to the broader question of church programs and the danger of trying to get too many programs going in the church and some of the dangers it can cause. We'll talk about that uh, in the second half of the program. Well, in regards to some of those kinds of statistics, Monty, I, again, I think it's interesting you know, that, that it's the denominational folks who are telling us this. You know, usually churches of Christ are are trailing along behind the denominational trends. We're not out there at the cutting edge of those trends, but I think a lot of churches of Christ allow denominational trends to sort of drag them along. And and so here these denominations are out here, and they've been pursuing this youth group thing, this youth ministry for a long, time. For a long, long time. And so a, a number of churches of Christ said, well, we better join that bandwagon. We better get in on that. We, we, you know, we're going to lose our young people if we don't start doing the same kind of things for them that the denominations are doing. Well, if we were wise, we'd, we'd be paying attention to the fact that those groups themselves now are saying this has been a flawed concept. Well, you see that in a lot of areas where people doing something and they're, they're just seeing a lot of activity, but they're not really seeing the quality. They don't pay attention to whether it's quality or not. And they want to follow along and do these things. Well, if we don't do it like they're doing it, we're going to lose our young people to them, or we're going to lose this group to them or some other group to them. Well, we need to quit being followers and being leaders. And if we're being real leaders spiritually, we're going to be teaching the gospel, and, and everything yeah. will be all right. I think you're right. And, 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 of course, what we were saying there is sort of beg the question, is it, is it authorized? It yeah. ought to be the first question. But even if, it, even if we don't have any problems with authority, I think we're going to have some problems with authority for yeah. sure. But even if we didn't have any authority problems, for us to, to say we got to do what they're doing is when they're saying that what they're doing isn't working. Let me give you some quotes here. There's an organization called the National Center for Family Integrated Churches. And the idea of family integrated churches is keep the family together. Stop breaking them out into uh, age groupings and so forth. The family integrated church. <laughs> the director of that is a guy named Scott T. Brown. And he said bluntly, today's modern concept of youth ministry is a 50-year failed experiment. And so they've been at it for five decades, and they're saying it's not working. It's not working at all. That same National Center for Family Integrated Churches uh, put out a survey that said as many as 85% of young people will leave the church by age of 18 never to return. That's a pretty scary statistic there. Uh, 85% of young people will leave the church uh, by the age of 18 never to return. Church, it goes on to say, churches have done a poor job of encouraging parents to personally discipline their children. Youth ministries pull children away from their parents and other faithful adults in the church far too frequently. Youth ministries discourage spiritual maturity. 
Much of that spiritual maturity is typically gained by observing more mature Christians. They reference Titus 2, beginning verse 1, where it talks about older Christians influencing younger Christians. And the youth ministry is keeping that from happening. Uh, Going on, um, George Barna, a lot of us have heard of Barna, the Barna Group, Barna Research. George Barna documented that 61% of today's 20-somethings who had been churched. You know, that's the word they use now. They've been churched. They they were in a church or a denomination, some religious group at one time. So 61% of today's 20-somethings who had been churched at one point during their teen years are now spiritually disengaged. Uh, Again, from the National Center for Family Integrated Churches, they say, quote, the church youth group itself is the problem. 55% of American Christians are concerned with modern youth ministry because it's too shallow and too entertainment-focused resulting in an inability to train mature believers. 36% of today's believers are convinced that youth groups themselves are not even biblical. Adam McManus, a spokesman for this National Center for Family Integrated Churches, says, quote, Today's church has created peer dependency. The inherent result of youth groups is that teenagers in the church are focused on their peers, not their parents or older folks in the church. It's a foreign sociality that leads to immaturity, a greater likelihood of sexual activity, drug experimentation, and a rejection of the authority of the Word of God. Uh, age segregation, especially during tender and impactful teenage years, not only hasn't worked, it's been detrimental. And then finally, Cameron Cole, youth director of a church in Birmingham, Alabama. He's a youth director. He's a youth man. He's been in youth ministry. He says, quote, there's a propensity in our culture to outsource the development of our children. For intellectual development, we send them to school. For athletic development, we send them to Little League. And for spiritual formation, we send them to the youth groups. Uh, parents... Uh, should be the primary discipliners of their, or excuse me, the primary disciplers of their children. So, again, what we've been saying here is that people involved, the people who've sort of been at the cutting edge of these activities, of, of sort of pioneering the movement toward youth ministries, are now saying, wait just a minute now, there's a problem here, it's not working. Because the kids who come up in these denominational churches where they had just a whole raft of activities, including rafting, by the way, yeah. they, they're not staying. They're leaving. They're leaving in big numbers, and they're not coming back. See, I think the problem we see with that is they're too focused on entertaining the children. We've got to keep them interested. We've got to keep them entertained, and they're not teaching them anything. Well, as the children get older, they think, well, okay, we've, we're tired of this entertainment we're getting, and there's other things they can do that are more entertaining for them. And those other things aren't included in their church-type functions, so that's one reason they're leaving. They've been, if, if entertainment's what it's all about, I don't have to go to church, get up early on Sunday morning or stay up late on Wednesday night to go to church. I can go get entertainment anywhere. That's right. And I thought it was particularly telling in some of those quotes, Bonnie, that it, it's, it's leading to a situation where they are not knowledgeable, they're not maturing mm-hmm. spiritually. Well, you think about it, what happens? And I, I think we've got to be careful about this, too, because we, you know, we get our young people together. We try to do things with our young people. The focus is on the fun. We'll spend 15 mm-hmm. minutes with a little Bible devotional, but then we spend three hours you know, doing something entertaining yeah. in, in, in nature. 
I think we got to be careful that we're not that that we're not developing spiritually mature young people. And very often, that maturity comes by observing older, mature adults. You know, young people don't get maturity by hanging around a bunch of other immature children. They young people become mature in all fields, in, in all realms. Young people become mature by observing mature people and being around mature people. And that would be true socially, educationally. It's true religiously that they need to they need to be in association with mature Christians. You know, I, when you when you watch children, especially as I've got young grandchildren now that are forming and learning to talk and doing things, they're going to say what they hear us say. They're going to try to do what they see us do. And so if we're setting a good example, that's what they're they're going to see and emulate. If we've only got them around other young people, they're around other immature people, other untrained people, and that's how they're going to grow up learning to be is just immature. So, we, you know, when we first, years ago, when we decided we was going to homeschool our children, people kept telling them, oh, they won't get social interaction that, that they would get from the children at school. Well, most of those kids at school, I didn't like the way they acted anyway. You wouldn't want them to socialize with I don't want them to act that way. And my idea was we go to church every service, every time the doors are open, they can be around older, mature people whose actions I tend to more approve of and learn to act right around them. And I think that part worked out reasonably well with my children. But the principle is, like we've been talking about, if we want them to act right, we need to have them around mature people that know how to act right, and they will duplicate that. They'll imitate that in their lives. Yeah. You know, if you took if you took 20 toddlers and and isolated them off to themselves, never giving them exposure to mature adults, those toddlers would never learn to talk. They'd never talk right. They'd never talk because they've got to be around mature people who, who speak knowledgeably to learn how that they should speak knowledgeably. That's just common sense. Why do we think that spiritually it wouldn't be the same thing? That if I if I never get my children around spiritually mature people, how do I expect them to become spiritually mature people? It just doesn't happen. And so I think that is a great problem uh, with the so-called youth ministry activities. Um, how do you address people, Monty, who say, this was the second question, how do you address parents who tend to turn over uh, the spiritual training of their children to the church. I knew a fellow, for instance, a number of years ago, and he wasn't a very faithful Christian himself. He missed for almost any reason. He had one only son. Well, the son had almost no interest in spiritual things at all because the father didn't have any interest in spiritual things at all. But that fellow had the audacity to say to me one day, the elders better do something because they're going to lose Tim if they don't do something pretty soon. They're going to lose him. And his whole expression was that it was the church's responsibility, and specifically the elders of the church's responsibility, to train his son. You know, I had a similar experience to that, and I was telling you before we started tonight. Years ago, we had been invited to a new couple that had been started coming to church where we worshipped. And while we was there, they was really bashing this other church in the community because that church and their Bible school program and all didn't do a good job of teaching their children about spiritual matters because all four of their children had fallen away. And it was the woman doing the primary talking here. So I told her that, you know, when I read the Bible, Old and New Testament, I understand that it was your responsibility as parents to train those children. And whatever they would have learned in the Sunday school classes or the Wednesday night Bible classes should have been just icing on the cake of what they'd been teaching them at home already. Well, then she tried to cast it off on her husband. 
well, the, he was the head of the house. He should have done it. I said, well, he was working, and you were at home with the kids. It was your job to teach him and his job to see to it you did it. And we never got invited to eat there again. <laughs> but the principle, the, the biblical principles that we read as we study through the giving of the law of Moses, we read through Proverbs, principles about teaching our children. We read in the New Testament that we're supposed to train our children. All the way through, God expects us as parents to be the primary trainers of our children. Now, when we bring them to Bible class, that should be... That's uh, an adjunct. That helps. That's just something extra. Yeah. But that should be a small percentage of their training. Their primary training belongs to us. Uh, exactly right. I think you're exactly right. Of course, the familiar text on this is Ephesians 6, verse 4. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It didn't you, say you Sunday school teachers. It said you fathers. That's exactly right. That's right. <clears throat> We're up to time for a break. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we want to talk about some of the problems of segregating into groups and how that really biblically that never was God's plan let's separate all the young people off of here and all the old people off of here and then we don't have any interaction between them that's not the biblical pattern that's what the youth ministry F, uh, approach attempts to do we'll look at some Bible verses that show that that never was in God's plan we're going to take a break stay tuned we'll be right back after these messages you won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. I'm Greg Gwynn, a host of the Virtual Bible Study. Thanks for joining us for tonight's program. The Virtual Bible Study is presented weekly by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Each week on the Virtual Bible Study, we simply engage in the study of God's Word in an effort to better understand it, better understand how God views us, and better understand what He wants from us in our lives. We're not studying any creeds. We're not studying any books written by men. We're just studying the Bible. And we're trying to study the Bible alone without any of our opinions or wisdom mixed in. We're only interested in what our Creator has revealed to us in his word. We realize that we're fallible and cannot direct our own steps. As a result, what we think or feel doesn't really matter. All that matters is what God has said. So that's what the virtual Bible study is all about. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Thanks again for joining us tonight, and we'll hope you'll make plans to join us every Thursday night for the virtual Bible study. Here's some quotes worth pondering. It is not possible to encourage others too much. You will come to believe and to be influenced by whatever you choose to listen to on a regular basis. Indian strife have overthrown great cities and rooted up mighty nations. Envy is the reverse side of a coin called vanity. Nobody is ever envious of others who is not first proud of himself. Reputation can be made in a moment, but character is built in a lifetime. Man, wish I'd said that. Quit checking your email. The commercials are over and the virtual Bible study is ready to roll. Take it away, guys. All right, we're back on the virtual Bible study. We're talking about the failed concept of youth ministries and churches and, and pointing out that even denominational sources have, have urged that this is not working. And uh, it, it's, it's a, one guy said it's a failed 50-year-old experiment. Uh, and so there's a real movement even among the denominations to... Bring the young people back in and stop segregating them off. And I ask the question, Mike, uh, uh, are there inherent dangers in segregating the church into age or democratic, demogra I'm say that right, demographic groupings? And I think that there is. I think we've been talking about that. But I wanted to look at some Bible verses that, that suggest these dangers. From the old, a number of verses in the Old Testament show that God wanted the families kept together. In Deuteronomy chapter 16, Deuteronomy chapter 16, uh, verse 10, Thou shalt keep the feast of weeks unto the Lord thy God with a tribute of a free will offering 
of thy hand, which thou shalt give unto the Lord thy God, according as the Lord thy God hath blessed thee. And thou shalt rejoice before the Lord thy God, thou and thy son and thy daughter and thy manservant, the maidservant, and the Levite that is within thy gates, and the stranger and the fatherless, uh, and the widow that are among you in the place which the Lord thy God has chosen to place his name there. So notice that there was a uh, an emphasis on family joining together in these observances. In verse 14, Thou shalt rejoice in thy feast, thou and thy son and thy daughter and thy manservant and thy maidservant and the Levite and the stranger and the fatherless and the widow that are within thy gate. That's just a, a, an example of the kind of thing that we see repeated over and over again in the Old Testament. The, the clear indication was that these... Activities of serving God, uh, worshiping Him, celebrating the feast, and so forth were done in families. Uh, Joshua chapter 8, verses 34 and 35. Afterward, he read all the words of the law, the blessings, the cursings, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of, of all that Moses commanded, which Joshua read not before all the congregation of Israel with the women and the little ones and the strangers that were conversant among them. Notice the instruction came to them as a whole. Um, Ezra, when they returned from captivity, I got a, I got a number of these noted here, but we'll just look at maybe one more here. In Ezra chapter 10, in verse 1, now when Ezra had prayed and when he had confessed, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God, there assembled unto him out of Israel a very great congregation of them, women, a very great congregation of men, and women and children, for the people wept very sore. And so, again, there, there's more such references as that, but the, the typical scene in these Old Testament texts, money is families together receiving instruction uh, from the Word of God. You know, if we're going to follow that pattern, you know, it, it, it's a pattern that was, is commanded when God told them to do all this together. Uh, now, we're not living under the Old Testament to, to be commanded by that law, but we can just see the principle that God is setting forth that you need to be doing these things as a family because if the children see the parents properly worshiping God, they'll learn to properly worship God theirself. Uh, several years ago, a friend of mine that I thought used to be a faithful Christian, but he was getting into it with a congregation and he was being involved in the children's church there, which I'd never heard of children's church before that. But the impression I get is all the younger people a certain age and older rather than detract, dis disturb the adults in their worship, we're going to take them off over here and let them do something else and basically entertain them. Well, he was getting involved in that. Well, how are the young people supposed to learn how to act right in the assembly if they're all together doing what young what kids do, which is going to be rowdy, rambunctious behavior? They're not going to learn to act right. So then when they get older and it's time that they should be the one, older, mature ones, they're not going to be able to teach anybody else either because they've never been taught. I think you're exactly right. Uh, earlier in one of the quotes that we read, there was an, uh, a reference to Titus chapter 2. And it talks about the older men and the older women and the influence that they would have on the younger. Titus 2, 2, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith and charity and patience. That the aged women likewise, that they be in behaviors, become with holiness, not false accusers, not given much wine, teachers of good things. Notice that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their children, to love their to love their husband, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Young men, likewise, exhort to be sober-minded. So it seems there, even in this New Testament text, that there was an emphasis on having the young and the old together so that the old could be an influence for good on the young. If we, if, if we constantly have the young people broken off into this youth group, 
and we're and we're taxiing them all over the countryside to go whitewater rafting and go to the amusement park and go to this activity or that activity, this devotional meeting, that devotional meeting. And we never make effort to have them with the older folks for the influence that the older folks can give. We're missing out something very vital. And we're missing out on extremely valuable training that we can get just by the association that we would have with them. I think that's exactly right. And so we ask, is there an inherent danger in segregating these groups, old and young? I think yes, but I actually think there's a danger for the young, for the old folks too. I mean, old folks gain great encouragement from associating with younger folks mm-hmm. too. And so when we take the, the young folks away, they don't get the influence of the older folks in their lives. But the older folks miss out on that interaction as well. And, and you know, the church is pictured in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 12, for instance, pictures of the church as a body. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't cut my arm off and set it over there. I keep it, It's a body. It relates to it. it it's, it's all related to one another, and it works together. But if we segregate elements of the body apart from themselves, we're, we're not following that Bible pattern. Well, the, the young people are missing out on the experience that the old t- people can teach them about what works and what doesn't and good ways to go about doing things and how to properly revere and respect God's Word. And the older folks miss out on the encouragement they get by seeing the younger people mature because as we was talking in the studies that you was reading from a few minutes ago, we're, we're having young people that never mature as Christians. They don't ever become spiritually mature. So the old people are missing out on the encouragement that they get to see. You know, it's, it's nice to be able to do a job and see that you've done a job well and, and, it's, and it's lasting and growing. But the old people are missing out on that because they're not, the job's not getting done well and it's not lasting and growing. I think you're right. Cal, you were mentioning a, years ago when you were attending a, at a, a, one of the denominational churches here in our town that a lot of times their meetings were just simply parties. Go ahead. Yeah, on their um, our Wednesday night service, which, which I used to, on Wednesday nights we'd go to a, a church up here in Columbia, occasionally a a van would come down to Santa Fe and pick us up. We'd come up here, and it would be like a just a party, I guess, more or less. And it was just a, they'd have basketball, and they would have a little initial, when you first get there, a little prayer, just a five-minute conversation. Then it's just a free-for-all. But yeah. it was just a, that's just a kind of a sampling of what well, I know. Try to group as a. And, and I know that from some of the folks I've talked to over the years, that in some of those groups, and I think it might be one of the ones that you used to uh, visit, if you wanted to be in their basketball league, you had to attend a, a, a certain number of church services in order to be able to play basketball in their league. And so that was the carrot you know, that they put out there. Uh, but, you know, again, it, it's just not working. Now, we want to in the second half of our program. We want to move to a to a, a sort of a broader approach to this subject. But finally, here, Monty, what are we going to do? How can we? We've said we don't want the church segregated into age groupings: young people over here, older folks over here. How are we going to? What can we do to help improve that interaction and those relationships between the young and old? Because I, in a lot of churches, that's a problem. And not even necessarily in churches where there is this organized youth ministry activity. But I think our culture these days has sort of become enamored with youth. We mentioned this in the program last week, I think, maybe on the virtual Bible Yeah, we study. talked about that last week some. But, you know, it, young people these days don't have much interest in 
what the old folks are doing or what the old folks have to say. And I see it pretty often. I mean, even even in our local congregation, it's not uncommon for the young people to be busy talking among themselves, walk right past the adults and never even acknowledge that they're there. Mm-hmm. But I'm not saying it's all for the part, the, all for the uh, problem of the young. Sometimes old folks uh, act rudely to the young, too. What can we do to help improve those relationships? Well, I think the primary thing we can do is each of us as individuals lead by example. If we recognize that this is a problem, it's not any good to just say, hey, here's a problem and not offer a solution or to be a part of the solution. But we as older people, I mean, I include myself in that now, I need to take an interest in what the young people are doing and insert myself into those situations and 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 in find ways to help them be interested maybe in what I'm doing. So I can, I can lead by example on that. Uh, there's people in the congregation that's older than me still, so I need to be lead by example by going up and talking to those older people and, and finding out what's going on in their lives and discussing things with them. One way we can do that as far as me talking to older people, if I've got something going on, I can go ask them for advice. Say, hey, here's what's going on in my life. What what would work? What do I need to do to, to fix this situation? And, you know, because the Bible, New Testament, talks to us about confessing our faults and to one another, and I think one of the purposes of that is to get that sound moral Christian and Bible advice about our our situations, and we can make it to where other people, we don't have to go off in a corner and do this in secret, but we can do that to where other people see and learn from our example. This is how we relate to older people. Okay. And as older people, when we see maybe some kind of situation going on amongst the younger ones, we might need to come up and say, hey, I can see that something's going on. What can I do to help? Yeah, I think you're exactly right. Uh, my takeaway from what you said, Monty, is that we've got we've got to consciously address this, mm-hmm. uh, it, because if you if you're not conscious of the importance of these building these relationships, then it will end up that the young are off to themselves doing their thing, and the older are over here, and we don't get that interaction. But both the young and the old need to see the value and the importance of that, and how it is in God's plan. And so adults make it a priority to relate to the younger folks and parents. I think here's where parents can take an important role. Parents, see to it that your young people have the opportunity to be around older people and that you encourage them to interact with, you know, apparently some of the uh, uh, parents are not teaching their children what I would consider to be common courtesy. Speak when you're spoken to. Mm -hmm. Respect your elders. Uh, Say hello. Talk to them. And so I think I think parents, parents of young children, make it a point to encourage your kids to do that sort of thing. So I think I think it's two sided coin. I think both parts have to work together. But I do think it's very important, and I, I believe it's something we've got to prioritize in the church. Yeah, it's an obligation that we have if we're going to expect the church to continue and, and the young people to mature spiritually. We're going to have to train them and lead them by example in that. I think you're right. Well, it's time for our mid-hour break. We're going to take our break and get a bullet point for this week. We'll be back, and we're going to go to the top of the hour. Stick with us on the virtual Bible study. Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. This is Greg Wynn with this week's bullet point. Imagine this. A husband was away from home for several weeks. There was no justifiable reason for him to be gone. One day he just left and never came home. Numerous inquiries were made, but his absence remained unexplained. And then one day he wandered back home. He sat down at the supper table and acted as though nothing had ever happened. Would you allow this? Or think of this scenario. A worker walked off his job. 
He did not obtain his employer's permission. He just disappeared. He remained gone for a couple of months. Other employees had to take up the slack and fill in for him, covering his work while they tried to do their own. Then he showed up on a payday. He offered no explanation, asked for all of his back wages, and proceeded to take up his former position as if everything was normal. Would you allow this? Or how about this? A student failed to attend classes for a number of weeks. School officials attempted to locate him and discover the cause of his absence, but to no avail. The other students progressed in their studies, leaving the absent student far behind in several important subject areas. The truant student returned one day. He had no excuse. There was evidence that his absence was deliberate and that he had been involved in a good bit of mischief. Amazingly, he expected to be welcomed without question and even requested that the entire class backtrack and cover the subject matters he missed. Would you allow this? Okay. Now how about this? A Christian did not attend services for several weeks. The elders, the preacher, and a number of other church members tried to find out what the problem was, but without success. Others had to take up the slack caused by his absence. The congregation proceeded with his program of work and teaching. Then one day he showed up for services again. There was no explanation, no confession of wrongdoing. He wanted to immediately retake his former status, to be counted as a faithful member, to be called on for prayer and used in the services. Would you allow this? That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Let me ask you some questions. Do you think people should do anything on Thursday night besides listen to the virtual Bible study? Absolutely not. Well, do you think that they should listen to the whole program every week? Every bit of it. Well, are they teaching the truth of God's Word? Exactly. Well, there you have it. Make the virtual Bible study a regular Thursday night appointment. Broadcasting around the world with truths that are out of this world. The virtual Bible study. Take it away, guys. And we're back on the virtual Bible study. Uh, again, I want to remind you that the virtual Bible study is brought to you by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. If you're anywhere near us in Middle Tennessee, uh, please plan to visit. Uh, check out our location. We've got uh, directions and times of services and everything on our website. If you're not near to us in Middle Tennessee, uh, we do have a lot of information on our website at College View. Remember, College View is spelled funny. C-O-L-L-E-G-E, College View, V-U-E, V-U-E is how we spell view here. I don't know why, but that's how we do it. It's collegeview.com, and we've got a lot of information there. We've got all the archives, past programs of the Virtual Bible Study for 10 years. There's some sermon resources there, uh, audio and some video of recently preached sermons. Also a number of uh, articles from recent bulletins, and there's just a lot of of information on the collegeview.com website, so check that out. I'm going to give you a heads up about next week. Next Thursday is Thanksgiving Day. And we've always, uh, over 10 years, we've always had a program on Thanksgiving Day. But typically we have a very small audience because everybody's pretty busy on that day. And so this year we've decided to sort of give in to that trend. And we're going to not have a virtual Bible study next Thursday night on Thanksgiving night. So. Uh, we hope you miss us just one week and join us again two weeks from tonight when we'll return for another live edition of the Virtual Bible Study, Lord willing. So remember that next week, next Thursday night, Thanksgiving night, we will not be doing a live Virtual Bible Study program. In the chat room, we got a comment from guest 1022 who says, you both bring up great points tonight. I'm 27. I was actually raised in a church that had a youth group, but it wasn't like the ones you all are describing. I think we must be careful how we do this. I'll never forget my senior year of high school. We did a six-month class with all different generations in small groups. 
There, they were groups of 12, each with ages ranging from 13 to 85. It was so amazing. Every time I would go to church, they would always tell us that they were only partnering with our parents to help us on our spiritual journey. Well, that sounds more like the way it ought to be done, Monty. If, yeah. we're, if we're gonna if we're gonna go, go into small groups, then let's make sure the small groups are diverse, and so that we do have that interaction that we've been talking about. Yeah, that sounds like they had a not a youth group, but just a group activity work together. Thing. Oh yeah, classes. Yeah, classes. Yeah, something, and 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 they were studying. Uh, on, on Bible themes mm-hmm. with with diverse age groups. So it doesn't sound I, like it was related to entertainment at all. Exactly, exactly. All right, so the youth, again, I, I really like that quote we mentioned early on in the program. This guy from the National Center of Family Integrated Churches says, quote, today's modern concept of youth ministry is a 50-year failed experiment. I hope we're smart enough to take him at his word. This is a guy who's been there and done that, and he sees it doesn't work. Well, I've all, you always heard that experience is the best teacher, but I was taught some time back that it doesn't have to be your own experience. You can learn from yeah. others' experience. If these people's experience is teaching us that this is a failed program, we don't have to make that yeah. same mistake ourselves. You don't ourselves. have to make all the mistakes yeah. yourself. That's exactly right. You can learn from the mistakes of others. All right. We want to broaden this out a little bit now uh, to take in something that was written on a blog by an author named Jared C. Wilson. And he wrote an article entitled, Ten Reasons Why You Should Under-Program Your Church. And basically what he's talking about, Monty, here is that there's a number of things that can be a real problem in a church that has so many activities going, so many programs mm-hmm. uh, trying to keep all those balls in the air simultaneously. You know, you see a juggler juggling balls. And he might be able to keep three going. Put the fourth one in there, he's in big trouble. Throw five or six more in there, and he can't do it. Yeah. He can't keep them all going. And a, a lot of times, that's what happens in churches. We try to get so many programs going that we can't keep any of it going well. And so he's written this blog, and he's got ten points. And we, we put those out there to our update list earlier today. We just want to walk through these things. He's saying these are some of the dangers that we potentially have uh, if we try to get the church involved in too many things. The first thing, that, again, this is this is by author Jared C. Wilson, 10 Reasons Why You Should Under-Program Your Church. The first thing he mentioned, Monty, was you can do a lot of things in a mediocre way or you can do a few things extremely well. Now, that's sort of common sense, isn't it? You know, that if, if I'm, well, for instance, in your work as a machinist, uh, you can be good operating several machines or you can... <clears throat> maybe know how to run several dozen but in your work you'd be better off to specialize in in a few specifics rather than try to generally do everything well i see someone where i work now he'll run over here and do a little bit on this job and he'll run over here and do a little bit on this other job and he runs it and, and he's constantly running from one job to the next and he never really get it takes him forever to get anything done he's not really accomplishing anything he would be far and away better better off to prioritize what he's doing Pick the one that needs to be done the most right now and do that one and get it done and then pick go to each one and get each one done rather than just to hit a lick and a promise here and there. And he's, he's not accomplishing anything. And so I believe that's what he's talking about here. We can do a lot of things in a mediocre way. We can kind of hit a lick over here and just kind of spread ourselves so thin but never get anything done. I think that's exactly right. You know, uh, that's, that's true in almost any activity. Mm-hmm. And that's why we talk about people who are specialists. You know, we tend, mm-hmm. to, we tend to respect people who are specialists in a field. 
Well, specialists in the field focus on on the few specifics of that field rather than trying to sort of, uh, what do I want to say, dilute their skills and their activities over a broad range. And so the, the first thing that, that's mentioned here by this fella is, you know, are we, are we interested in getting a few things done well or are we just satisfied to be mediocre doing a whole lot of things? Well, I actually think when you look at it from a biblical perspective, Monty, the, the Lord has given us a few specifics, and he wants us to do them well. Yeah. Uh, the, the problem with a lot of these programs that churches try to uh, instigate and innovate is that they're, they're branching the church off into areas that God never wanted the church to be involved in anyway. They're trying to get us to do things we don't have authority to do. If not God even, had wanted us to do it, he would have told us so. And not even design. Not, yeah. God didn't design the church to do some of the things that men want to get the church involved in. God has given the church three basic areas of, of, of emphasis. Evangelism, teach lost people. Mm-hmm. Edification, strengthen those who are already Christians. And benevolence, a, a, lim, a limited role in benevolence that God has assigned to the church. That's what he wants us to be doing. But unfortunately, men want to get us into a whole lot of other activities. Well, when we get into doing all these other activities, it detracts and takes us away from the three things God told us we're supposed to be doing. Exactly. I think that's exactly right. So the first thing is, you know, you're not going to get you're not going to do well. You're going to be mediocre if you try to do too many things and instead of focusing on the few things that are important to get done extremely well. Number two. This author said, over-programming creates an illusion of fruitfulness that may just be busyness. You know, I think probably all of us can relate to that, different different things. Maybe, maybe you've got a number of things to do around the house, uh, and so you're flying around there all day, but you never get anything really done. It was a, 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 a flurry of activity, but you never really got anything done. You were busy, but you weren't accomplishing a lot. Yeah, And I think that can happen in, in churches, too. Well, one of the things there that causes that is we've got everybody spread so thin that nobody can get anything done because it takes a certain amount of manpower to accomplish any task. But we've got everybody so spread out, we ain't a, a bit, being able to apply the, the right manpower to it. Exactly right. I remember a number of years ago, I was visiting my brother up in Louisville, Kentucky, and we went to a, 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 a big denominational church building that was near where he lived. And some of you who maybe are in the Kentucky area know of the Southeast Christian Church in Louisville. It's an enormous, it's an enormous thing. Well, when we went in, we just went in there to tour at the building we just recently completed. And it was it was a fabulously big facility. But just as you went in the door, they had TV monitors mounted on the ceilings. And as you walked in, they were they were scrolling this is a constantly scrolling schedule of events and activities. Go to, mm-hmm. If you want this, go to this room. If you want that, go to that room. And uh, it, was, <clears throat> it was just pretty amazing. But that's, in some people's mind, that is the ideal. But as our author has suggested, the problem is what we may be doing is creating an illusion that we're getting something done when really all we're doing is just busy work. Yeah. Uh, our friend uh, Jim and Kentucky says he agrees. He says those three things we mentioned, evangelism, edification, benevolence, they were never called programs for the church. Uh, They were called fellowship. This is the fellowship. This is our joint participation. This is our work. I think that's exactly right. All right. So uh, danger number two is that we're just going to be busy but not really get anything done. 
Number three, I think, goes to some of the things that we were already saying. Over-programming is detrimental to unity in a church. So we were talking earlier about segregating off the youth group. You know, we got all these, the youth group is doing all this stuff. They got all this stuff going. They got a full calendar of events scheduled for the youth group. Well, maybe we've got another uh, set of activities planned for the seniors over here, you know. And then, then over here is the the twenty somethings. Here's the thirty somethings. There's the forty somethings. Here's the here's the, the the singles. Here's the young marrieds. And and we've got we've got this a huge schedule of events for every conceivable uh, demographic group in the church. Uh, where's the unity? When when are, when are we ever together doing the collective work that God wants the church to be doing? Well, the problem with that in the destroying of unity of the church there is we've got a program to accomplish this task and another task and, you know, all these different tasks to be accomplished. Well, somebody comes in and wants something. Well, that's not my job. That's, I'm not involved in that program. You've got to go see somebody else. Rather than helping, we're just, we're just passing the buck and, and shuffling it off. And, and we're not doing things together then. We're doing each each group our own little thing. And it kind of reminds me of what Paul talked about in one of the churches, and he was saying some people said, well, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Peter, I'm of Jesus. Well, we don't need to that. We need to have the same goal, and all of us need to be working together to accomplish these tasks that have to be done. I think you're exactly right. Uh, yeah, that church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where they were all talking about the group that they were in. Yeah. You know, I'm of Paul, I'm of Paul, I'm of, uh, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Christ, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and he condemned that. Yeah. He, he flatly condemned that sort of a thing, uh, and that's something I think we've got to be on guard against. All right, we've got to take one more break here, and when we get back, we're going to go to the top of the hour talking about some of these things that are dangers if we try to get the church involved in too many things, too many programs, and so forth. Again, denominational authors are seeing these dangers, Monty. We ought to, we ought to take, we should know better already just from our Bibles, but it's interesting to see them voicing these dangers. Uh, we'll continue with that when we come back right after this break. Don't touch that mouse. The virtual Bible study will be back right after this. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. A study of U.S. adults found that two out of three adults, 67%, claim to have, quote, a personal relationship with Jesus that is currently active and that influences their life. However, a companion study found that the majority of Americans did not rank their relationship with God as the most important in their life. Seven in ten American adults said their family was more important than their relationship with God. Only 19% said their relationship with God or Jesus is the most important in their life. That information is via the Christian Post. The Word of God says in Matthew 6, verse 33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Hello, everyone. I'm Monty, a member of the College View Church of Christ. So you've been hearing all about the College View Church of Christ on the virtual Bible study and are interested in finding out more about the church. But you live hundreds of miles away from Columbia, Tennessee, and can't come and visit with the congregation to find out more. There's no reason to fear. After all, we live in the 21st century. Here's what you can do to find out more about the College View Church of Christ. First, why don't you check out our website while you're listening to the virtual Bible study? You'll find important information about the church there, including bulletin articles there on various subjects and can even listen to sermons that have been presented at the College View Church in the past. Secondly, if you have questions about the church or about any Bible teaching, why don't you send an email to us and let us know how we can help. Send your questions to questions at collegeview.com. 
That address, once again, is questions at collegeview.com. We can even have a personal Bible study with you over email if you desire. And finally, if you would rather talk with someone in person, give us a call at 931-381-4567. That's 931-381-4567. You can call this number anytime. If you don't get an answer, leave a message and we'll call you back as soon as we can. We're glad you're listening to the virtual Bible study and hope to hear from you soon. Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. And we're back on the virtual Bible study. We're talking about the danger of getting the church involved in so many programs that it becomes a huge danger and detriment to the church. And a lot of churches are there. A lot of denominational churches are there. And they're voicing an alarm about it. Uh, we should sit up and take notice. But of course... We should know better already because our Bible talks about what we're authorized to do and what we're not authorized to do. But, uh, you know, even if we're talking money, even if we're talking about activities that are authorized, uh, we, we can dilute ourselves so much that we don't get anything done. Yeah, we can distract ourselves really easily. I mean, as, a, as adult males, I, I hear people talking about children that have ADD. I think all men have it to some extent. We, our focus doesn't stay in one place too long and so we need to recognize that and if we get involved in too many of these different programs or activities our our focus is terribly distracted and we don't get anything done i think you're right uh we're looking at uh, an article by an author named jared c wilson 10 reasons why you should under program your church is what he wrote my friend randy black up in jackson missouri uh, sent this link to us we appreciate that randy um Number four on his list was overprogramming runs the risk of turning a church into a host of extracurricular activities, mirroring the type A family mode of suburban achievers. Uh, in, in his article, he what he he went on to explain what he meant by that because I wasn't exactly sure what he meant by that statement. But he says basically relegating their faith to a to-do item in the weekly schedule. In other words, instead of Instead of me viewing my life as being a Christian, mm-hmm. I begin to view my life as I have to do this activity this day, this activity this day. In other words, I, I compartmentalize everything rather than having this big picture view of my life. I'm a Christian. As a Christian, I go to work. As a Christian, you know, uh, I enjoy this recreational activity. But my, my life is as a Christian. Uh, but instead of that, when we get all these programs going, then we get people starting to cubbyhole themselves into this scheduling nightmare. You just looked on the calendar. What was I supposed to do? Well, today I had to go to the dentist. Tomorrow I've got to go to church. Yeah. The next day I've got to go to a ball game. And then I got youth group on Friday yeah. night and, yeah, and so forth and so on. I think that's what he means there. Uh, guest 9631 in the chat room says how easy it is for error to creep into the congregation when this type of internal division occurs. We're talking about segregating the church mm-hmm. into all these different groups. Um, number six on this fellow's list was one that we really already talked about. Overprogramming leads to segmentation among ages, life stages, affinities, which can create divisions in the body of Christ. Uh, we've really pretty much talked about this. We started out talking about the problem of segregating out the youth from the rest of the church. He says pervasive segmentation, that is this group, age group here, that age group is there and so forth, 
Pervasive segmentation is not good for church unity or spiritual growth. It tempts the church to begin catering to particular demographic as more valuable than others, determining that market share among demographics with cultural uh, currency. Uh, What he means there is we're really really keen on keeping the young people. Well, keeping the young people is no more important than keeping the older people, you know. But when we put all of our focus on the young people, uh, and, and we invest our energies all in that direction, then we're forsaking another important element of the church. You know, helping the older people to stay faithful and go to heaven is just as important as helping the younger people. Because we put all our focus on the younger people, eventually they're going to survive long enough to be the older people. Well, then we throw them by the wayside and they're lost anyway. Yeah. So it has to be a total group package. We've got to focus on keeping everybody edified and uplifted and encouraged and faithful. Yeah, I think that's right. Our fellow mentions number seven. He's talking about ten dangers of over-programming the church. Number seven on his list was over-programming stifles mission. I think we would probably use the word over-programming stifles evangelism. Mm -hmm. And what he means by that, he goes on to say, engaged within the four walls of the church building, over-programming reduces access to and opportunities with my neighbor. (coughs) we got something... If we've got something going at the church building every night of the week, because, you know, and again, this would go to the argument we haven't really addressed tonight. What about the authority for doing this sort of thing? But, you know, churches have built huge facilities, gymnasiums and all kind of banquet halls and so forth. And they're active in some of these some of these big religious organizations. They are literally activities every night of the week. Mm hmm. Uh, but where are those activities? Well, they're, they're within the confines of their facility. And so what this fellow is mentioning is we get all those programs going. We've got people's time occupied constantly, but, but it's always within the four walls of the, of the building. Then they're not going to be out there re- reaching out to, to people in the community. No, they're not. They don't have time. They're too busy doing all these activities. You know, and Jesus talked about that in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, he told us to be salt and light. We can't mm-hmm. be salt and light if we're not ever interacting with the people in our community. So, right. so that would be a problem. All right. Number eight, he says, over-programming reduces margin in the lives of church members. wasn't really sure what he meant by that, so I, I changed the word to burnout because that's how he described it. It's a fast track to burnout for volunteers and attendees. So over-programming can lead to burnout in the lives of church members he sees as a danger. And I think that I think that is exa- potentially a real problem, you know. I've got I've got five weeknights this week and then I got Saturday and Sunday on the weekend. But I'm expected to be involved in these activities every night of the week. I never have a night to be with my family. Mm-hmm. I never have a night to to slow down and just rest. I mean, it's go, go, go. It's it's 100 mile an hour constantly. I can only do that for so long. And then there's going to be this burnout problem. Well, we see that in, in secular activities like our like the work, our, our jobs. Sometimes our jobs require us to work overtime, to do extra things. Well, eventually, if that goes on long enough, we get burned out at work, and we just can't focus. We can't accomplish our tasks there anymore. And so the same thing is going to happen in spiritual matters. If we're so involved with so many things going on constantly all the time, eventually we just get tired and run down, and we're not going to continue with it. So then, again, we've fallen away. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Real quickly, as we move to the top of the hour, 
number nine, this fellow says, over. Now, this, this more gets to the heart of the matter, Monty. He says, over-programming gets a church further away from the New Testament vision of a local church. He says, take a look at typical over-programmed churches calendar and see how many of the activities resemble things seen in the New Testament. I think that's probably the most important point he's made in all of these mm-hmm. things. It really goes to the question, is it authorized? Uh we got, we, you know, we, we built this gymnasium, you know, and and we've got three different basketball leagues going on here this, this fall and winter in our church gymnasium. Well, where was that ever authorized in the scripture to start with? And a simple way to ask the question would be, can you imagine the Apostle Paul being the, the uh, league coordinator for the Corinthian Youth Basketball League at the church there. Everybody said, that's just absolutely ludicrous. Of course not. Well, maybe that's the point we need to ask first is, is this activity even something God wants the church involved in? Did he authorize the church to be involved in this sort of thing? As we was talking a minute ago, the church has got three responsibilities God has given it to, to edify, to teach the lost, and very limited benevolence. Well, if we're starting to do all these other things, that, is, that we've talk, been talking about, well, we've gotten away from the pattern that we see in the New Testament. We've, we've gotten away from, as this, this, this author put, the vision of the local church, God's vision of the local church. It really doesn't matter what my vision of it is. Yeah. It's what was God's vision. Well, he recorded it in the New Testament for us. Exactly. So if we're getting outside of God's vision of the New Testament church, then we've fallen away again. I we're think, not going to heaven. I think you're exactly right. Jim in the chat room uh, says, part of the problem of allowing culture to become the model instead of the church. In our culture today, we try to make room for every person, for every new gender, and every concept. Some want the church to be that way, to make room for everyone by providing a specific program for each one. This does not bring people closer, but divides them by elevating the differences through special programs. Unless you are one of those special ones, you don't get a program. I think that's exactly right, Jim. Finally, we got just a minute here, but he says, finally, his final question is, or final danger that this guy mentions in his article is overprogramming is usually the result of reflex reaction to perceived needs. Uh, oh, young people, oh, we're going to lose the young people. Young people got to have something to do. Young people got, we, we're going to have to feed the young people. They, we, we're going to have to have a party for the young people. We, young people will leave us if we don't have activities for them around the clock. So we get thinking that this is the only, he mentions reflex reaction. And so we got to, we got to keep, we got to get, we got to get this organized for the young people or else they'll be gone. Who says the young people? We've got a a lot of young people who are not involved in that sort of thing and are growing up faithfully in the Lord. Mm -hmm. You know, if we're, we've just perceived that there's a problem that the young people have to have these activities. That's not, that's not an established reality. No. And so we're reacting to something, a reflex reaction to a perceived need that probably is not even a legitimate need. Uh, so we dream up the, the problem, and then we innovate the solution, all of it a, apart from the authority of God's Word. You know, if it is a problem, then we need to look to the authority of God's Word to find the solution and the appropriate response to it. But like you said, it's a reflex action. Like if a, if a wasp is flying at my head, I have a reflex to swat and duck and move. Yeah. yeah. Okay. 
Well, we've got that same thing. Oh, this is a problem. What are we going to do quick? Well, we Start don't need to, yeah, we've got to do something quick. Well, we don't need to do something quick. We need to read the Bible. Uh, it reminds me of what uh, Moses told the children of Israel. There was a problem come up, and he told them to be still, and let's see what God has to say about it. Yeah. So rather than having a quick knee-jerk reaction to it, it's, okay, we'll look at the problem, we'll examine it, and we'll compare it to the Scriptures and find out a scriptural solution for this. And that's how we need to act. We don't, most likely, most problems that arise didn't arise overnight, and we don't have to fix them overnight. I think you're exactly right. All right, we're out of time on the Virtual Bible Study. We want to thank you all for listening. Appreciate your participation in the program. Uh, and we know a number of people will listen to us in the archives. We thank you for doing that as well. We always look forward to your feedback. You can always contact us by email at questions at collegeview.com. So, again, to repeat, uh, next week, Thursday, will be Thanksgiving Day. A lot of people will be busy with family activities and so forth. Uh, we're going to not have a virtual Bible study next Thursday night. We look forward to joining you again two weeks from tonight. Uh, always on a Thursday night, regular appointment, with the exception of next Thursday night, our regular appointment on the virtual Bible study. Thanks for listening. We look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.